Okay, so since it's been a couple of weeks, I'm going to hit the high points to, re- to remind us of where we've been, okay? So, again, this, this period of time that we call the end times, that has all people talking and trying to figure out and worrying and fretting, it's a time where God is going to show that he is God. It's a time where he's going to separate out those who believe and those who don't. It'll become obvious. It's a time, as the Bible says, that has not been ever upon the face of the earth. But it's not a time that you and I should fret or fear about because we are children of the king. And we know that God has these things in control. Since the foundation of the world, this day was established, this time was established, and what he is going to do, his purposes and his plans, they are right, they are good, and they will accomplish what needs to be accomplished in the earth to glorify God and to bring things to the expected end that he's established. We talked about who the players were in this, the first session. We talked about this is all about God. No matter all of the teaching we hear about this guy and that guy and this system and that system, ultimately it is all about God and it is all about Christ. Because he is the one who formed it and framed it and established it. And nobody, no thing, no groups, nothing can change that. Amen. This is God's party. This is God's purpose and his plan. And it is all about him. It's not about the Antichrist. It's not about the beast. It's not about anybody else but what God has established and what he has purposed. And what he is going to bring about in the earth. We talked about the the other players. We, We talked about the Jews and how the Jews are not people who have been cast off. Though there are many in Christendom, who would think we as Christians have replaced the Jews as the people of God, that is not true. The Jews are God's chosen people, and we read verses that confirm what God's heart is concerning the Jew. And it is one of his purposes that we'll see tonight, these end times, to bring about God's promises to his people. Those promises were established, and God who says of himself, I do not change. He will do what he has promised to his people. We talked about Jerusalem, because that's the place where God has placed his name. It's the city of God. His name is there. His presence is there. There was some testimony about how someone felt when they were in Jerusalem and feeling the very presence of God. He has not left that city. Although he has allowed the Gentiles to run over it for a time, he is going to reestablish that city as his city. We talked about, um, well, we started to get into then the church. That's where we're going to start tonight in terms of the players. Who's involved here? Oh, we also talked about Satan. Right, we you know he's. We spent times understanding who Satan was, who he is, 
And he is not God. He is not on par with God. He is a created being, while he is maybe a little more than us. He is not God. It is not, an, it is not a battle. It is not a fight. Right? If it was a fight, there might be hope for him to win. But there is no hope. He has been defeated from the very beginning. And so everything that we look at when we look at the end times and we see all of this stuff that's written about Satan and what he is trying to do and going to do, we still have to go right back to the beginning. In the beginning, God. He created. Satan was created. Satan was cast out because he messed up. And he's not gotten any stronger. He's not gotten any more powerful in the presence of God. Our God is still God, will always be God, and has all of these things in control. Despite all of the fear mongers, when it comes to the times of the end, the one fact that we have to hang on to, remember and just embedded in our hearts and in our minds that Jesus is king. Yes. That God is God and no one is taking his place. He is on the throne. He has not left it. And so no matter what we see or what we hear, we take comfort in the fact that he is on the throne, that he has us in his hand and he's promised us there anything. There isn't anything that can take us out of his hand. Amen. So, I'm going to go quick because I want to go a couple of places tonight. So the other group that we want to look at in terms of the players. is the church. Now, you can be turning to Zechariah chapter 2. We'll start there. So one of the things we know about the church is the church is a mystery. The church was not revealed as being the church or really being fully understood that there was this thing called the church. Though the Old Testament, the the word frequently used actually is translated congregation. Okay? And, And... there is allusion to this thing we call the church. We really don't have an understanding of the church from the Old Testament. And until Paul came in and said, let me, this mystery really laid it out for us, we really didn't have a grasp of what the church was. And so we have very little in terms of end time things that the church is involved in. We really don't see it. Okay? Not laid out in Old Testament scriptures. And really, when you get down to it, not laid out in New Testament scriptures. Hence, pouring oil or uh, gasoline onto the fire about where the church is going to be during this period. Now, we're not going to get into that fully tonight, but understand where that comes from. So whether you're post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib, and all of this stuff, when it comes to 
when God is going to take his bride out of the, out of the earth. Just know and understand that Scripture doesn't go into a lot of detail and explain to you. It seems to be hidden. And we'll talk about that as we get toward the end of our, of our six weeks of, of teaching time. Because everybody wants to know. We'll talk about it. And as many opinions as there are, there will be those, that many opinions even in this room as to who, depending upon how you've been taught. But let's talk about some things as it relates to the church and the end times. Okay? Zechariah 2, beginning of verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Now, O daughter of Zion, that's the Jews, right? That's Israel. Verse 11. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So we know that there is a time period coming when many nations are going to join themselves with Israel. And they're all going to be God's people. That's an allusion to the church. Okay? So we know from before the foundations, God had a plan to make one man, one new man, as Paul writes in the New Testament, out of all the world. He is going to open it up so that the Jews and the Gentiles can be one in his presence, all who believe on the name of Christ, as we come to learn later. But we see those illusions in the Old Testament. Let me read two, two more. Psalms 22, verse 27 and 28. Psalms 22nd chapter, verse 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations. When you see the of the nations, he's referring to Gentiles. It practically always refers to Gentiles. All the families of the nations shall worship before you, for the kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Again, allusions to the body, Jews and Gentiles together, becoming one. Now, turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 3. There are more scriptures that that talk about that, but I've learned (laughs) i got to hurry. Because we got a long way we're going to go. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. And so for this reason, Paul writes, I'm sorry, verse 1. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed in his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise 
in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so, with that foundation in the Old Testament, here we come to the place in the New Testament and Paul reveals the mystery of the church, that Jews and Gentiles together would be one in Christ Jesus. And that's a big deal. Why? Because we know that the, most of the prophetic teachings about the end times are about the Jews. And so we have to pay attention to what's going to go on with the Jews because we are inextricably linked to them and what happens with them. However, this set of people that's called the church, those who believe in God and hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ, there is something special that will come out as we go through this teaching and learn how they fit in this time and how they don't fit. Some of our expectations and some of the teachings that go on about the church. I'm not going to get into tonight. We will let that evolve as we go through our time, okay? All right. Now, so last time, I wasn't going to talk about this, this player. Because this player, as you'll see when we get done with him, is not as big of a deal as we've made him. But God corrected me and sent me back to talk about the Antichrist. See, we made the Antichrist into this giant persona. We've turned him into something larger than life. Someone to be feared and concerned about. People argue, fuss, and fight about who he is and where he came from and all these things about the Antichrist. And what I want you to see as we walk through this tonight is that he's just another in a long line of people who have tried to control God's plans. He's just another in a long line of people who had a plan to do something wrong for his own selfish reasons. He's not the first one even to have declared himself a God. And yet, because he's involved in this period, he's got a whole lot more press than he probably deserves. So let's look at this guy. First off, let's understand one thing. He's a man. He's not a god. He's not an angel. He's not a demon. He is a man. Now, we suspect and we'll see as we go through scripture that he certainly has some serious demonic influences. And suspect that even at one point, He may be indwelt by Satan. But the Antichrist is a man. He will bleed. In fact, he gets killed. Which suggests that he can't even accomplish the thing that he's trying to accomplish. And yet we fear him in the body of Christ because we listen to a teaching that elevates him higher than he ought to be, other than comparing him to our God. He's a bad dude. There's no arguing that. 
but Lord who prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Of whom shall I be afraid? Of whom shall I be afraid? So, turn over to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to run through a bunch of scriptures here, so hang on and stay with me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, that day of the Lord, that day of revealing who this guy is, will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness, the man first, the man, the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction, says in ESV. The son of perdition, I think King James uses it's only been used, that word is only used one other time and to describe a person. Who was that used of? It was used of Judas. So we know that this is a person who has already been established as he is anti-Christ. He is anti the things of God. He is coming against what God has established, what God has purposed. He is the son of perdition. That means he has already been judged. He has already been set apart as someone who's going to get smacked down as God glorifies himself in this. Just as Judas was in the Old Testament, we knew that there was somebody who was going to come along and betray the the Christ, betray the Lord. The Antichrist is the same way. He's not fooling anybody. He's not doing anything that God has not already said, this is what you're going to do, and I got you anyway. Verse 4. Man of is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself as God. So this man, who is a man, has enough high opinion of himself in his place in history. At some point, he's going to declare himself as God. He is going to try and stand against all gods. You know, there are are lots of gods in this world that people would behold as gods, right? You know, there's Allah, there's the... 330 million in India, there's Krishna, there's all these other names. And he is going to position himself to stand above everything that is named as God, including Jehovah, including Christ. He has a high opinion of himself. But it also suggests that he has a plan and a purpose. That purpose is laid out. He's going to go out. And he's going to do things and position himself to be seen, and as we'll see later on, even worshipped and accepted as something beyond a man. Let's keep reading. For the uh, verse seven, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way, and when and then the lawlessness. The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing. 
So Jesus is going to speak a word, and he's going to die. He's a man. Always has been, always will be a man. And subject to the king of kings. Okay? Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception. The activity of Satan. Who is Satan? He's a liar, the father of lies. He was a liar from the beginning, says Jesus. And how is he coming? He's coming with power, with false signs and wonders. He is going to lie and deceive the people. In verse 10, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And so those people whose mind are not renewed to the things of the kingdom, who are not blessed by the spirit of God, they will be deceived. Conditions are going to be crazy and they're going to be looking for somebody to save them out of it. And here comes Mr. Antichrist. Through the power of Satan, He is an angel. He's got power. He just doesn't have God-like power. He's going to create false wonders and signs. He is going to deceive many. And so, just like Satan, he's a liar and a deceiver. That's who he is. That's his game. He has nothing else that he is going to offer but lies and deceptions. That's all he's got. That's all Satan has against you and I, against children of God. And that's all the Antichrist is going to bring. Now, it's going to allow him to get a hold of some things. It's going to make him powerful in the earth. That's all he's got. Jesus is still king. Amen. Amen. Turn over to Daniel chapter 11. So I want you to understand who this guy is and put him in context, okay? Put it in context. We have blown him up to be something a whole lot more than he is. He falls like others and ultimately requires Satan's direct intervention to try to stop God's plan. Starting at verse 36 in Daniel 11. Now, you, you know what? Let's, let's go back to verse 1 in Daniel 11. Daniel 11, yeah. So, in Daniel 11, the dream that the angel came and gave Daniel through in these few chapters was all the kingdoms that would exist from that time forward. And the book is so uncanny that scholars still debate. It had to have been written after the fact, right? Even though we have proof that it was written well before the, the, the time of, of Christ. It was written 300 years some odd before the time of Christ. That's because God is God. 
He knows the end from the beginning. And he sent his messenger to, to Daniel to give him this truth. But let's, let's begin reading. We're going to skip a lot down through this until where, we, where I want to focus. But I want you to see this because it's important that we put it in context. Start at verse 1. In, in year 1 of King Darius of the Mede, I rose to fortify and strengthen him. Now I tell you the truth. Pay attention. Three more kings will arise in Persia, then a fourth will gain more than them all. And as soon as he gains power by means of his wealth, he'll stir up everyone against the Grecian kingdoms. A mighty king will come to power, and he'll rule with awesome energy doing whatever he pleases. I shift the gears on you, Pastor. I'm, I'm reading out of the ISV now. <laughs> Skip down to... Um, Verse 6, verse 5. The southern king will come, become strong, and along with one of his officials who will become stronger than he and will rule over his own realm with great power. And after a number of years, they'll become allies, and the daughter of the southern king will go to the northern king in order to craft alliances. Skip down to verse 7. One of her family line will replace him. He'll become against the army and entered the fortresses of the northern king, conquering them and becoming victorious. He'll also take their gods, their molten images, and their valuable vessels of silver and gold into Egypt. Skip down to verse 11. The southern king will fly in a rage and march out and fight the northern king. Skip down to verse 14. During those years, many will rebel against the southern king, more violent ones among your people. They'll rebel in order to fulfill this vision, but they will fail. Then the northern king will come and erect a siege ramp. So there's another king. Skip down to verse 21. In his place there will arise a despicable person upon whom no royal authority has been conferred, but he'll invade in the time of tranquility, taking over the kingdom through deception. Overwhelming forces will be carried away before him, along with the commander-in-chief of the covenant. From that time that alliance, that an alliance is made with him, he'll act deceitfully and will go up and take power with only a small group of nations. He'll invade the most prosperous areas of the province during that time of tranquility. Skip down to verse 27. Now as for the two kings, their intentions will be evil. And they'll promote deception. Skip down to verse 29. At the scheduled time, he'll return moving southward, but the end result won't be, will be as before because his ships will come against them from the Mediterranean Isles. Verse 31, armed forces will arise from their midst and on and on and on and on. And we haven't gotten to the Antichrist yet. We've, we've been given a whole list of kings and battles Deceivers and deceptions, usurpers, from verse 1 all the way, all the way. We, got down, we got down to verse, what, verse 31 roughly, and we haven't gotten to the Antichrist yet. Skip down to verse 36. The king will do as he pleases. He'll exalt and magnify himself above every god. 
speaking amazing things against the God of gods, and he'll succeed until the indignation is completed, because what has been determined must be carried out. Finally, we get to him. So at the time this was written, you had Daniel, who by that time had been a part of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, who had conquered the known world, most of the known world, who was in turn conquered by the Persians and the Medes, who conquered most of the known world, who in turn was conquered by the Greeks and Alexander, who conquered even more of the known world, who in turn was conquered by the Romans, who conquered even more of the known world. And how did they do that? By violence, by subjugation. You did it their way, or there was no highway, right? It was their way or death. There was no mincing around. They didn't have time for that. Kingdom after kingdom, king after king, on and on and on. People died. There was violence all over the place. People were killed. They were subjugated. These guys were larger than life. How many of them declared themselves as God? Well, we know that some... uh, uh, Who was it? Artaxerxes. You know the story of the, the 300, right? We had the movie, The 300. That, that fought at Thermopylae, right? You know, that Artaxerxes, they, they declared him the, the God King. Here are the Caesars. He had to be worshipped as God. This is nothing new. It's all the same story. It's more of the same. And here comes the Antichrist. What does he do? He doesn't do anything different. He's just the next guy up. Okay? We're not talking about anything different in history. Though we have blown him up into proportions beyond imagination. He's just another guy with a God complex who wants to rule the world. Now all of these other kings that we talked about, they did for a time. They ruled the known world. They did it through violence and subjugation They did it through lying and deceit. He's just doing the same thing that they've all done. He's not doing anything special. The only thing special he's got is he's got modern weapons. Now, can you imagine what things would have been like for uh, the Romans if they had more modern weapons? You know, they had the most modern system there was at the time, and until they fell apart internally because of their, their, their inability to live according to a standard, they were it. And they fell. This guy has access to nuclear weapons, biological weapons. Who knows what is being developed that we don't know about, right? the defense research agencies. There, there's all kind of ways that, that men are finding to kill each other and to dominate each other and to protect their own territories. Because of his lying and his deceit, he's going to worm his way in and have access to that. And so when he chooses to make war, yeah, there'll be a whole lot more people dying. 
And when we talk about it, we'll find out that it's substantial quantities. I think um, if, we, you know, if you read the, in, the, 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 in Revelation the chapters 5 and 6, when the horsemen arrive and they're given power to take away a quarter of the earth. There are 7 billion people on the earth. Take away 25%, that's almost 2 billion people. Couldn't conceive of that some years ago. That there would be a war that could take out almost 2 billion people. So when we begin to look at him in context, he's just another guy, like all the other guys, with a God complex, wanting to rule the world, he just has better tools. And he still is destroyed by the word of God. Still destroyed by the word of God. So let's read some more about him. Let's go down to verse 36 and we'll, read, we'll finish reading this. Because it says some stuff about him that needs to be understood. And this king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God. And he shall speak, he shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper until the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He's going to do what he can do until God says you can't do no more. That's what that's saying. He's got a limited window that God's given him to do his worst. And then God's going to shut him down. Verse 37. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to one beloved by women. He shall pay no attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor. Skip down to verse 41. He shall come into the glorious land and 10,000 shall fall. What is the glorious land? That's Israel. So this guy is going to come into Israel. And the result of his coming into Israel is that there will be 10,000s who are going to die. And there's a whole narrative to that that we'll get into at a later time. But, yeah, he is going to do some damage to God's people. God is going to allow that. And we'll talk about why that is in a bit. Verse 45. Verse verse 43. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt And the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Just like every other kingdom who has come before, His kingdom is going to come crashing down. 
He's just the next guy up. And in fact, more precisely, he's the last guy up. Because after him, there's no more. When he's done away with, the one who's coming after is the one who's going to show us how it's really done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I don't want us to get so hung up on the Antichrist that we lose focus on our Lord, that we lose focus on our God, because it's still his show. It's still God's show. Amen. Antichrist is just a, another player on the stage, like all the others in history. He's got a few more tools and a few more capabilities with those tools to do bigger damage. But for all those who are caught up, who have the testimony of Christ, he can't do anything to us. To live as Christ. Yes. To live as Christ. Yes. You are alive in Christ right now and forevermore. Oh. It sometimes doesn't feel like it when we have things like Hurricane Michael come through and put pressure on us. But we are alive in Christ and alive with him forevermore. When we change our perspective to that eternal heavenly perspective and see things, we can truly understand what what, uh, what Paul said about these momentary light afflictions. It's a pain right now, but you know what? I have eternity in the presence of Almighty God. Of Filled with things that I can't even, ex- I, I, he can't express to me. They're so wonderful. Don't know what that is. I'm looking forward to it. But right now, he gives me strength to endure what's going on now. Even the Antichrist should he come because he loses the game. Okay? He's just the next guy up. And he's going to fall. First John chapter two, verse eighteen. John tells us as children it's the last hour, and as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. You've heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. There are many people who have been and will always be until God calls it done, those who try to destroy the testimony of Christ in you and I. But they will not do it unless we turn loose of it. They will not and cannot win. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Those were people within the body. They were not of us. They went out. There's a whole lot of discussion who this guy is, whether he is part of the body, either the body of Israel or that region or something in Europe, we don't know. But 
because he is a deceiver and a liar, and we know that the whole world will follow after him, it would not surprise me that he comes out of a place with enough credentials to say, well, look. It's like celebrities we see on TV. Well, look, he's talking about Jesus. You know? You know how those folks are. Talk just enough about the Lord to make you think while they're living lifestyles that are not necessarily the way they ought to be. So that's who the Antichrist is. He's just like the devil. He's a liar and he's a deceiver. And everything he does will be based on lies and deceit until he gets his hands through lying and deceiving into a position of power where he can do some big damage to whatever part of the world is remaining at that time until God says, nope, you're done. And with the word of his mouth, destroys him. And then we read in the book of Revelation that he's cast alive into the lake of fire. All right. Enough of him? Let's move on. So those are the players. It's God's game, and it's all about God. There's some other people that pop up, but we'll talk about them as we go. So let's spend a few minutes just briefly talking about why. Why we got to do this thing? Why does there have to be an end times? Turn with me to John chapter 3. There are a few reasons that I want to read from Scripture and talk about. And we probably won't get them all in tonight. But I'm going to get as many as I can. The great future wrath of God is necessary and certain because men reject the provision God has made for sinners in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on Calvary. Paul says in Romans that God merciful and patient and he didn't punish the sins of the world until Christ. And then he heaped on Christ all of that. All of that there ever was and all of that there will ever be. So that you and I will never, ever, ever have to pay a price for our sin. Now, if you think on that, it should mess your mind up. It should mess you up and just fill you with joy and gladness and desire for the things of God. All from, from the garden until the cross. He, he didn't give the people what was deserved. And from the cross until the day that he has determined, he hasn't given the people what they deserved. Because he poured it out on Jesus on the cross. So that there is no cost to you and I 
to come into his kingdom if we will. No cost. But in showing his mercy and not showing his justice, he left justice undone until the cross. And in giving us grace, he left justice undone because he poured it out at the cross. But he's established a time, a time that he calls the day, that he is going to say, it's over. All of those who have accepted my gift, you guys come with me. Everybody else, you've decided that you want to pay your own cost. Okay, it's time to pay. The bill is due. At some point, the bill is due. And that's what that day is. The day of the Lord. The bill is due. Now he's paid it and everybody who has accepted Christ, you're free and clear. But those who have denied him. Okay, you got to pay. The bill has to be paid. Justice has to be satisfied. Justice has to be satisfied. It was satisfied at the cross. Accept that portion for those who have chosen not to accept it. And so the day of the Lord, that day that's coming, it's all about justice. It's all about paying the bill. John 3, starting at verse 16. For God loved the world, and he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. This is the judgment. This is the bill. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light, because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Adam Clark's commentary says this. This is the condemnation. That is, this is the reason why any shall be found finally to perish. Not that they came into the world with a perverted and corrupt nature, which is true, nor that they live many years in the practice of sin, which is also true, but because they refuse to receive the salvation which God sent to them. The condemnation isn't because of what you did. It's because of what we chose not to do. Got A or B. Here's the free gift. Debt's paid. So when it's time, you don't have to pay. 
Or you can pay it yourself. The day is coming and was set and established by God and referred to throughout the Bible as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. That's the day that the Lord collects on the bill. Romans 2. We'll start reading at verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. What's the end times about? It's about paying the bill. It's about paying the bill. For those who have the testimony of Christ, you're free and clear. Come on in. For those who have not, you got to pay. you got to pay. At some point, we'll talk about what the payment is as we go through this. And most of us know because we've been taught. But, oh, what a price. What a price. It should motivate us. Yes, it does. It should motivate us to yes, tell people, to tell them truth. Not sugarcoat it. That's there's right. A, there's, a, there's a day of reckoning. There's a day when the bill comes due. Next time, talking about some of the other reasons and for the end times, what God is going to do and accomplish in this time period. And after we get through with that, then we're going to start getting into the narrative. What's what? The what? We've talked about the who. Right now we're talking about the why. Then we're going to get into the what, okay? Okay.